Either she homeless or she got problems. That's the only reason why she run to a black man. I like him already. Now you wanna get nuts? Come on! Producer, director, writer, he is the ultimate filmmaker and bona fide foodie. You're listening to The Quintus Factor with Michael J. Arbaway. Hello, my friends. Greetings, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Quiditas Factor. I am your host, Michael J. Arboway. That word, Quiditas, what does it mean? Adriana, please give them the definition. Quiditas, Latin, the whatness of a thing, the essential nature of something, the quality that makes a thing what it is. Yes, absolutely correct. Quiditas is the whatness or essence of a thing or person. And in this episode, I want to talk to you about hard work. You know, it's been said that it takes roughly 10,000 hours to become good or something, or at least 28 days if you do something over and over again and create a habit. So when you're looking at growing or doing something or making yourself better, you have to realize that it's going to take some time. It's not going to take just one day or a couple of days. You're going to have to work at your craft. You're going to have to do something over and over and over again until you become good at it. And that reminds me of a quote by Dale Carnegie, and that quote is this, Inaction brings doubt and fear. Action breeds confidence and courage. If you want to conquer fear, do not sit home and think about it. Go out and get busy. And that reminds me of my next guest. My next guest is really killing it. He's working every day. He's getting busy, and he's getting things done. So without any further ado, please welcome to the show my friend, Lou Martini Jr. Hey, Lou, how you doing? Hey, buddy. Lou, thank you so much for joining me on the show, man. So as you know, the name of this show is called The Quiditas Factor, and Quiditas means the whatness or essence of a thing or person. So I'm basically looking to find out what makes you you. So my first question today is this. When you were like eight or nine years old, did you know you wanted to be an actor? What was the dream? What were you thinking about? Well, you know what? I was already acting. I actually have I have my very first pay stub from 1964, and it's it was like for sixty four dollars or sixty eight dollars. I must have been doing extra work as a kid on something for um, for Disney. But I was always um, I lost my dad when I was when I was ten. But before that, I was always on sets. My dad was bringing me around to everything that he did, and he did that with a lot of the family. For example, if you watch the uh, the wedding scene of The Godfather, I mean, half that wedding scene is my aunts and uncles, you know. So when I put it on, it's actually nice because they're all gone now. But to see my aunt Faye and my aunt Eva and my aunt Rosie and all those people in the in the um, in the wedding scene along with myself, it's it's pretty cool. So I don't think I had an idea of what I wanted to do until I was very active in sports. In probably in like junior high school, I uh, after my dad had passed and my mom pulled me out of the business, I really got into uh, into sports. And I did go to college and all that kind of stuff, really focusing on being a sportscaster. That's what I thought I was going to wind up doing, being a sportscaster. And the acting thing had just just passed. It was going to be a part of my life that passed. But what happened was in college, like my junior year, I started doing a local television show that was produced by the college where we did uh, comedy skits on the show. And I got, I guess I got the bug again. And when time came to graduate, I had a job offer to go to Pikeville, Kentucky to do overnight radio uh, with, with a sports network. And I said to myself, man, 
do I really want to go to Pikeville, Kentucky <laughs> and, and start this journey of sports broadcasting in Pikeville, Kentucky? Or I says, you know what? I'm enjoying the acting again, the comedy skits and stuff that I was doing and writing. I says, I could go back to New York and get a headshot and resume made up. And either way, I'm going to struggle. I says, I would probably rather struggle amongst family and friends in New York than struggle as, uh, you know, as a stranger with no friends or no nobody in Pikeville, Kentucky. So that was, that was what led me back on the path to the acting. But yeah, when I was young, I really wanted to be a sportscaster more. The acting, it was just something to do as I, as, as I was a kid with my dad. Wow, that's amazing. You know, it, to be young again, right? You know, to I, I can't believe like when we're that age, how we decide to do something and we just do it and it always works out. Um, my daughter, you know, I'm so proud of her. She just got into Vassar College and she didn't leave any other option. She told me this is where I want to go and we're going to make it happen. And she got the scholarships and she's doing it. And that's basically what you did. So tell me, you know, what was that first job that you got you know, when you moved back to New York? Oh, God, I don't even remember. My first important job, well, I'll tell you one thing that I did try to do, and it just it failed for me miserably, was, you know, when you're taking acting classes and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, the first thing they do for a guy like me from New York is you got to lose your accent, which basically makes you lose your persona, lose your essence, you know what I'm saying? And for the first couple of years in New York, I tried to do anything but a New York guy, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it, it just it didn't work for me. I tried hard. I worked hard at it. And it, I met... Uh, I met a manager back in the day and said, you know what, especially for television, Lou, just be yourself and you'll, you'll be cast as yourself a lot in television. So I just said, you know what, forget about me trying to be a Shakespearean actor or something like that. It's just, it's just not me. It's just not, it's not my essence. So my first big job, which led me down that path of working pretty steady was uh, Tony and Tina's wedding. It was a really popular off-Broadway show back in 1989. And I was cast in the original production of that. And that led that led the way to a lot of off Broadway, and, and I started my first big TV gig was a Law and Order, nineteen ninety one. I did a guest spot, and uh, I've been uh, you know knocking at the door and working and producing and writing and just doing anything I can in the business ever since. Wow, you know I'm having a six degrees of separation moment right now because that was like the first off Broadway show that I saw. It was Tony and Tina's uh, wedding. Uh, that was my first exposure to you know acting and and the stage oh when did you see it? you remember what year yeah 1989 i was in high school that was the year that i graduated high school okay and so you probably saw me i look a little different a little grayer obviously <laughs> but uh, you probably saw me in the in the show then yeah wow yeah it was a fun show and you know it's still we had they had a 25th anniversary run that i went to and you know it still runs across the country regionally uh nationally uh there's productions of it and there's always that talk of it's going to run in new york again and every couple of years somebody will run it in new york off broadway it's just it's one of those little shows that just keeps on running i was actually in the movie they did a really really bad movie that no one will ever see hopefully with joey mcintyre and mila kunis who were terrific in the movie but just the movie was bad they just just destroyed the concept the, the heart of the piece was just ripped out yeah. that's it that's another podcast for another time <laughs> Tony and Tina's wedding movie experience. <laughs> so I, I, th- I think every uh, New York actor cuts their teeth in, in Law and Order because that's I've seen you on Order Order a couple of times. So tell me, about- I, may be, I may be close to a record because now I have a I have a recurring role on SVU as Counselor Fredo. I've done about four or five episodes as Counselor Fredo, mm-hmm. but right now I am up to uh, the last episode I shot would be the seventeenth episode of the family of Law and Order. Criminal Intent and SVU. I've done 17 episodes, so I don't know if anybody's done more, but it's got to be close. 
Wow. Yeah, no, thank God. And you know what? The original Law and Order is now back. Yeah. The mothership is back. And it's such a great thing for New York actors. So, yeah, if you look at every New York actor's resume, they got to have one or two Law and Orders. Like well, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's like that. That's like the big joke. Every New York actor at least does one Law and Order that's their kid. Yeah. yeah. It used to be soap operas back in the day. Everybody had a couple of soaps. If you were a New York actor, you, you'd get a couple of soaps on your resume. So, I see you on uh, television all the time. And what do you think your first big film was? Oh, geez. I don't know. I, I guess it's Sopranos is not a film, but that was really that was really one of the biggest jobs I've had. Uh, film wise, I've done a lot of independence. I've done smaller roles in bigger films. Uh, nothing outstanding. You know, um, I'm trying to think what's my favorite independent film. I did. I did a film called Suicide Notes that I starred in a few years back. We shot it in Houston, Texas, won all kinds of awards, got a little bit of a release. And I actually won a, a Best Actor Award at the Houston Film Festival for it. So that was very, very cool. So my, my TV credits are like totally outweigh my film credits. I don't know if it's just luck of the draw, but I get cast in a lot more TV than uh, than film. You know, I've, I've done a bunch of independent films and I like the independent film. I like a smaller budget kind of thing. You get to really it's more of a. Um, uh, uh, you know, like a teamwork kind of thing. You get you get more into it when you work on these independent films, as opposed to having five lines on a you know on a Tom Hanks movie or something like that. That's not really fulfilling, you yeah. know. So and you know, TV wise, The Sopranos was an amazing job for me, and SVU is an amazing job for me now. I had a I had a nice turn uh, last year uh, on the show Manifest. I had a really nice uh, character arc. I did three episodes on Manifest last year, which was fun. That was a big job for me. But uh, you know, I'm a character guy. I just just work when they call, you know. Classic show, The Sopranos. Tell me about your time on the show. You know, in the first season of the Quintetas Factor, I interviewed Robert Fernau, and uh, you guys are friends. Well, first of all, I auditioned. I auditioned thirteen times mm -hmm. uh, for different characters. I was on hold for the role of uh, Little Carmine, that went to Ray Abruzzo, who's a dear, dear friend of mine, wonderful actor, wonderful guy, Ray. Uh, and I guess I, from what I heard, the scuttlebutt was they thought I was a little young for it. But I guess they liked me because they kept bringing me back for all these different characters. So on my 13th audition, I booked the role of Anthony Infante, which I did the five episodes of the last year. And interesting story, the day that I worked, now you're always nervous going to a new set to meet new people. So it just, it's just natural. I mean, I am anyway. It's just natural. I'm just nervous. So I had to go to Jersey, and I live in Brooklyn, and that means going on the West Side Highway. And, of course, I'm on the West Side Highway about 8, you know, I may, maybe had an 8 a.m. call or something. So it's 7 o'clock. I get hit in the back with a motorcycle. Bang. Jeez. I turn around. I pull over. I jump out of the car. The kid is gone. He just took off. So I guess he was okay, but he hit me in the back. So I'm like, oh, my God. So that cost me about 15, 20 minutes. So now I get to the location or what I thought the location was. There is no one there, Michael. There's not a truck there. There's no catering. There's no actors. There's nobody there. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Did they cancel the shoot? Not tell me or you know, I don't know. So now I'm, I'm about an hour late from my call time. I walk into this school and I call up and I get like a second at the end of the phone. like, Lou, no. We're sorry. You're about eight blocks away. I don't know how you get the wrong address, but we're at this school <laughs> eight blocks away. I rush over to the to the school. Now I'm thinking that um, my first scene was going to be a uh, either a hospital scene. Uh, yeah, it must have been a hospital scene at this point with Johnny Sachs. So I say, oh, Lou, and a matter of fact, uh, the scene that was going to be last up today, your eyeglass shop scene with Jimmy is first up, we're, we're taking you over there to do that first. So now I'm like, oh my God, I'm shaking like a leaf. I'm an hour late. I'm thinking I'm getting fired. And now right out of the bat, I'm, you know, I'm working with the King, Gandolfini. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm shaking like a leaf. But 
Michael, when I tell you, as soon as I walked on set, Jimmy said, we heard what happened. We're glad you're okay. Thank God. He gave me a welcome to the family hug and everything was smooth sailing for me. I mean, that's the kind of guy Gandalfini was. That was my very first day. And the, the very first scene that I was in is where uh, everybody remembers the scene. They walk into my shop and we're talking about Johnny Sack and stuff like that. And they walk out stealing five pairs of sunglasses from me where Jimmy says something where, uh, you know, I left my wallet in a car. And that was my very, very first day, very first scene. Wow. And uh, that's, you know, that'll be, that'll be a memory. The generosity of Jimmy and the cast and everything, you know, me coming off this fresh off this accident, being an hour late, going to the wrong location. You know, at this point, it's the biggest job of my life. And it's like, well, I'm getting fired. Here he goes. There he goes. My break and I'm done. I'm fired. <laughs> but obviously it, it all worked out, you know, five episodes later. So, yeah, it's funny. You know, I'm an independent filmmaker, a director and producer. Um, so I've always worked in film, but um, lately I've been really curious about television. I want to get back into working on television. I interned at NBC when I came out of college. Um, so, you know, I, um, a couple of seasons ago, I interviewed Ernie Hudson. I'm supposed to do a movie with Ernie uh, at the end of the year, hopefully. I've met him oh. a couple of times. Good guy. I'm supposed to do a movie with him. I got offered a movie with him. Oh, that's so, great. Wow. Yeah, yeah, shooting in Atlanta with Ernie. That'll be great. Yeah, he was telling me that, you know, films are great, and he loved that he did Ghostbusters, and that made his name. But um, television has been very good to him, and he's worked more in television than in film. Yeah, you know, again, to touch back on it, I think for me, for all the television directors I've worked with, and I don't know if 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 it's an ego thing, or I don't know what it is, but to me, the television directors that I work with, and I work with, you know, Sidney Lumet, giant television and film directors, but the TV guys are just, they're just a lot more collaborative, you know? Mm-hmm. And also the thing I like about TV is, I mean, if you do a Law and Order, if you do a guest spot in Law and Order, and you have two scenes, you can literally be in the makeup chair and be out like four hours later because the television crew, especially when shows like Law and Order have been together, they're machines, man. They're machines. You hit your mark, you know, make sure you know your lines, you know, you run it once and bang, you shoot it and you're moving on. It's it's just, re- I like that. I like the, the quickness of it. And I, I also like the collaboration. Like I said, it just seems like the TV directors, uh, like I just did a, a guest spot on Bull and the, the director's name, uh, I want to say Dennis, uh, Dennis Scott, I want to say it's the first time I worked with him, but wonderful guy and was so collaborative, you know, asked me what I wanted out of the scene, what I thought was the scene was about, things like that. And a film, and it's the opposite film, you know, you, you shoot 16 hours, you shoot a, a scene from every angle for five hours, you know, and, and the director never asks you a beep about your opinion on it. I don't know, maybe because there's more money involved, there's big egos involved, there's more stars involved. I don't know. It, it just seems like a big, sometimes waste of time. When you're on a film set, you know, you're, you're in your trailer on a film set more than you are on set. You yeah, know, TV, yeah. you show up, you're in a makeup chair, you're on set, you shoot, you go home. <laughs> it's, it's that big of a difference, you know. Wow. So I can see why Ernie says it too, because I enjoy doing TV much more, much more yeah. than doing a, a big film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now watch, I won't, I won't get a big film now for the rest of my career because all the big film people say, oh, you don't want to work with us? Okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> well, we'll I know, it's, it's kind of crazy. The film industry is in, is in such a strange place right now, you know, like especially with the independent scene. It's very hard to find funding to make a film. Well, yeah, that's the thing. There really is no more independent scene. Yeah. You know, everything is corporations and, and, and big financing. I have, I have a wonderful, wonderful script that I wrote with a uh, police officer friend of mine called Honor that I wrote it seven years ago and about a year or a year and a half out of the box, we had a deal. We had the fantastic Joe Bologna directing 
And we were literally, Michael, when I tell you on the final phone call, we're in the lawyer's office, everybody's all dressed up, the champagne is there, we're all excited. And then something went wrong in this phone call. And five years later now, you know, Joe Bologna has passed, or one of the writers has passed, and we're still pitching this wonderful, wonderful film. But, you know, we've had startup finances, we've had some money, but uh, we haven't been able to raise the finances, you know. So uh, it's just really, really difficult. That's Even when somebody makes a bad movie today independently, I'm like, God bless. You got a movie made? Yeah. Even though it's a piece of garbage, which you see a lot on Amazon and stuff, especially uh, you don't know how these things got made. But God bless. You got that thing made? Wow. <laughs> wow. God bless. Because it, yeah. it is. It, yeah, the independent film. I remember when, like, we went to uh, my first time at Sundance. We had a wonderful film called Pounds that Carmine Familietti wrote and starred in. It was about a, a man, a uh, young man uh, dealing with, uh, with his weight. And we really did really, really well. We were at Sundance and all the festivals. I was winning awards all over the place, got a release and things like that. But I remember going to Sundance. And I remember, like, you know, we were a big movie there. And we had to, like, barely get invited to one or two parties. And people like Demi Moore are walking down the street with, like, 15 gift bags. And I'm like... She doesn't even have a film here. What's happening? <laughs> and we saw that Sundance even was starting to turn to become about the big names and the big corporate and the big stars. Yeah. And it was kind of starting to, you know, forget about the, the little guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, even now they tell you there's only a couple of festivals in the world because now I'm producing and, like I said, writing and trying to sell some things. There's only a couple of festivals in the world now where you could get a deal. I mean, some of the big film festivals like Sundance and things, more, it's more of a showy kind of stuff. It's look what I've done, what I've got. Yeah. Where, you know, if you go to Toronto or if you go to Berlin, you're going to see more independent films. They're getting deals. They're more, they're more about the, the, the film and the, and, the, and the art as opposed to the big business. You know, so yeah, the independent film industry is uh, hanging on by you know by a thread right now. It's the true independent film, you know. yeah. Yeah, I used to do about independent film once a year, and yeah. the last film I did that was a full feature was two thousand twelve. You know, yeah. and you know we barely raised financing for that, but it was under a hundred thousand. We're usually working with a hundred thousand more. We did this one for like sixty eight thousand, and uh, that was the last big film. And it's so yeah. hard. They even get distribution. I mean, you could seed places, but like nobody saw any money from it. You know, that was the, the worst part. We had like three investors and I feel bad because we got the tax credit for them. So we got them some of their money back and it's living on Amazon. It's living on Tubi. You know, uh, I work with Fred Carpenter. So we did that film, uh, Send No Flyer. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, so I produced that's, a, that's an amazing thing. You made a film for $68,000. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, kudos, kudos to you. That's that's an amazing thing. Amazing. <laughs> oh, thanks. It was, it was, it was, you know, it was pu pulling favors. It was, it was, it wasn't easy. We only had a, originally it was only supposed to be a 15 day shoot. It turned into a 23 day shoot wow. and uh, I had to pull favors to finish it because mm -hmm. we ran out of money, but uh, you know, it, it did the festival run, you know, and we thought hey, they're pulling, they're pulling favors on big budget stuff too. Believe me, there's favors being pulled all the time. <laughs> yeah. So now, hopefully, like I'm hoping that it will it will come back in some form. But uh, as as the years go by, now we're in 2022. I haven't worked on a pin, independent film in years. I'm thinking, oh God, I just want to work on a, something that might go to like Netflix or it seems to be that it's all streaming now. So we get you yeah, have to find some kind of a format that yeah. will live on on uh, one of the streaming yeah. platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing right now is is you just have to be really really aggressive. You have to keep pushing. That's why about 
I think it's about eight years ago now where I, I hooked up with my partner, Tony D'Antonio. She has a company called Shake the Tree Productions. And about seven or eight years ago, I was working on one of her films. And we'd always been friends. We were friends for like 25 years. And just in the nature of conversation, we're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm attached to this project. And she goes, oh, well, I have this project that I'm trying to blah, 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 blah. And we had very much the same sensibility and same values and things. We're like, you know what? Let's try and create some work for ourselves because it's becoming even more difficult now just to sit back on your couch and wait for the agent to call, you know? So we decided to team up and, you know, we're doing fantastic. We sold our first Christmas movie uh, over the holidays. They're going to shoot in February up in Montreal, a, a really wonderful film called The Brooklyn Christmas. Oh, wow. That was written by Anthony Mangano. And I, I believe, I think you know Drew Henriksen. You know yeah, Drew? Yeah, I know yeah, Drew. Long Island guy. Yeah, they yeah. wrote a wonderful comedy about pretty much, uh, it's like a wonderful life, but it takes place in Brooklyn. Okay. And, we were lucky and, and Anthony to, was in Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were lucky enough to, um, to, uh, to option that as executive producers, and we made a deal. So uh, they're going to start shooting that in Montreal in February and hopefully be on, a, on Hallmark or uh, actually Lifetime. They'll be on Lifetime uh, this holiday season. Oh, so wow. we've shot a couple of television pilots that people are looking at. And uh, so we're doing it. We're doing okay. We're trying to create work for ourselves. I think you have to do that now in this business too. No matter if you're 20 years old or 60 years old or have tons of credits or no credits, I think you got to try to create as much work for yourself as you can. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so true. You're doing it. You know, you're doing it because that's what you do. You're, you're a creator. You create. Yeah. I mean, I had a wonderful time on your television pilot. (laughs) Which which I'm hoping, come on. (laughs) I want that to come out. You did a really nice job with that. I have to re- yeah, I, I had to recut some stuff because, you know, I was shooting it all in one day. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's going to come out. I just have to finish, get the, I have to get the music rights to one song and then uh, it will come out. But yeah, I, well, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed working on it. I thought it was funny. I thought you did a great job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So it's so funny, Lou. Every time I turn on the TV, I see you on some show and I always smile because, you know, just killing it. Um, besides The Sopranos, what's your other favorite uh, show or movie that you've been in? Uh, I loved working on, um, on the Americans with Kerry Russell. Mm-hmm. See, the, the experience to me is the people that I work with, you know, and the, some of the best experience I ever had was Kerry Russell could not have been more generous. She was a doll. She was a sweetheart. I loved working on damages with Kerry Russell. Mm-hmm. I just had an experience now. Everything they say about Sarah Jessica Parker is true. And then some, I did a guest <laughs> spot on her, um, I guess it's called, and just like that, it's the Sex and the City reboot pretty much. And I did a guest spot. Uh, We had a scene together where I tried to uh, pick her up at at an open house. And we had a blast, again, for a big star like that to be as generous as she was on the set. Her and the the showrunner, Michael Patrick Kelly and, and John Melfi. Just a wonderful, wonderful set. And this is the thing that will make a lifelong impression on me. We were talking throughout the day, you know, we're there maybe 12 hours, 14 hours, because there's a bunch of stuff to shoot. They're doing multiple scenes. So, and probably just in passing, I had mentioned my girlfriend's name and, you know, that she was a cancer survivor and just like general conversation, who knows how it came up. So when Sarah was getting ready to leave, this is like, you know, 12 hours later, whatever, she gave me a hug and said, give Betty Ann a hug when you get home from me. That meant the world to me that maybe I said Betty Ann's name once. Mm-hmm. nine o'clock in the morning. And at the end of the day, she said, please give Betty Ann a hug for me. And you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a oh. mention as we say back in, in the old days, you know what I'm saying? So it meant, yeah. that meant we were having real conversations, mm-hmm. you know, which is a wonderful thing. Cause you know, I don't have to tell you 
Uh, we're in a business where there are some phonies. <laughs> we're not surrounded by some of the nicest people in the world at all times, you know. So that meant the world to me. So that was that was a great experience working on Bull. Uh, just shot an episode of Bull. That was wonderful. You know, I noticed also, Michael. I think, I think this is one of the good things that came out of this whole woke movement. Is I notice the sets now are nicer, quieter, friendlier. And I don't know if it's because people are petrified of saying the wrong thing or looking at somebody the wrong way, but just there's, there's a difference when you're on a set now than there was a few years ago when you had these 22-year-old PAs with headsets yelling at people. Yeah. You know, it just, I haven't seen that in a long time. Mm-hmm. I've seen nothing but respect for people now and kindness and generosity. And I, I could tell you horrible. I've been on some horrible sets where people have been horrible to each other, yeah. you know? And the last, like I said, since maybe since the pandemic, the last, I would say the last two years that I've been working, completely different atmosphere on set. Com- yeah. Just completely different, which is a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, Lulu, this is a term that's going around in Hollywood. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, called the soft no. You know, especially now in this day and age, we're trying to get these projects off the ground and we go and we have a meeting and that we think it's gone good. They love us and we never hear from them again. Have you ever experienced anything like that? All the time. Yeah, that's only happened to you a couple of times. It happens to me and my partner all the time, all the time. I mean, we've wasted months and months and months. And that's the worst is when you're, when you're having negotiations with people for uh, not even negotiations. You don't get to that point, but you're five months in and they still say they love you. They love you. They love you. And it's like, well, you don't even have an option yet. I know you love us, but, you know, option is script. Let's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a formula to making a television pilot or a movie. And this is how you go about it, you know? The hardest thing is to get somebody to put the money in escrow so you can actually start making what you're making, you yeah. know? And, and, and again, my partner and I, I, if you're not talking about putting money in the bank in the second meeting, we're done because that's yeah. what you do. That's how it all starts, buddy. Everybody wants to be a producer and they want to hand out cards and they want to invite girls to, to meetings. And five months later, you're still sitting at a, you know, at a restaurant and they're, you know, having a drink and still talking about how much they love you, but they have done nothing to forward the process. They just want to be in the game, yeah. you know? And that's, you know, that's 95% of my meetings are a joke. It's a waste of time. I know. You know, like, again, you, you're a creator. I don't have to tell you this. It's just, it's a waste of time. You have to be really, really diligent, picky about even now setting up a meeting. Like me and me and Tony back in the day, we would just take a meeting to take a meeting because you never know. <laughs> but now the first thing we do is when we get the person's name, we're having a meeting with them. Like, I do my research. I, I go online. I see what they've done. I see what they haven't done, who they know, who they don't know, you know? And there's been meetings even before we got into the first meeting. It's like, you know what? Not for us. I don't see us doing anything with, with this guy or these people, you know, not, not for us. This is a, there's a lot of, a lot of ham and eggers out there that want to be producers and things, but they, they just, they don't do it. When the time comes, time comes to pull the trigger, they don't do it. They just talk a good game. It's very, very frustrating. Very frustrating. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. You know, this is such a crazy business. That's why they call it show business. <laughs> so now, Lou, I have some um, podcast questions like I like to ask all my guests. So the first question I want to ask to you is this. Um, what's something that people seem to misunderstand about you? Huh. Things that people... I don't think I've ever come across anything like that where people misunderstood something about me. I know one of the things that sometimes may, may get me in trouble 
but trouble a good way is I do wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm a really, I'm a sensitive guy. I may be overly sensitive at times. And uh, I'm a very generous guy. That's come to shoot me in the foot a couple of times. But I don't, I don't think, I don't think I'm, because uh, again, everything about me is, is out in the open. So I don't think there's anything you can really misunderstand. Does that make sense? You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, I am who I am. You know, I think I have a good reputation in the business. I think I'm well-liked, you know, I'm well-respected. A lot of directors hire me more than once, which is always a good thing, which means they like your work and they like you as a person too. Because if they didn't like you as a person, you're not coming back to that same show a second time or, you know, that director a second time, whatever like that. So yeah, I don't think I've been misunderstood in any way so far. Knock on wood, which is good. Tell me about somebody who touched your heart. And how they changed your life for the better. Uh, Business-wise, family-wise, uh, either, either or, whatever you feel. I'll tell you. Right. Again, we talk about uh, as far as this business not being, a, you know, full of wonderful people. The first guy that ever said he was going to call me, and did that meant a lot to me. And to this day, his name is Oli Sesson. He's a wonderful director. He's down in New Orleans, and this is I was a young actor. This was 1991. And I was in the actor's gym, Bobby Maresco's actor's gym, and Oli was in the gym with us. And he was doing a, uh, an independent film called Playback for uh, Cinemax. And uh, it was in the works. He says, Lou, I promise you, I'm going to have something for you in the movie. And again, you're just thinking, how many times have you heard that, right? And then, uh, you know, he comes into the gym one Monday night. He says, Lou, he says, uh, take the sides here. I want you to shoot this with me on Thursday. You're playing the video store clerk. It's a funny scene. Blah, blah. And I was like, Wow. I was like, wow, this guy said he was going to call me and use me. And he did. And that really was very touching to me. We've been close, close ever since, you know, that's, that's important to me, Michael. When somebody keeps their word about something, you know, and again, you know, sometimes it it doesn't work out that way, but when somebody keeps their word to me or to anybody, I just think it's a wonderful thing. So that, that, that gave me, that gave me uh, confidence, you know, and uh, because I'm thinking now, I had done Tony and Tina's wedding. I did my, I did maybe two loan orders at this time. And I went to LA and I was feeling really, really like a fish out of water, you know, because you go to LA, it's like you're with the big time people now, you know, this little theater actor out of New York with like two TV credits, you know. And by him giving me that job, and again, it helped with my confidence. It helped me with my faith in the business in general, you know, and it's like, and I went and shot it and the scene came out great. It's very, very funny. It was on my reel till maybe about 10 years ago. Cause it was such a funny scene, you know? <laughs> and that, that, that was a big moment. Only says someone giving me that job. That was a big moment. What's the one thing that acting did for you that you didn't expect? Well, I don't know because you never know what to expect. And that's like in life in general. I don't think I was ever, ever expecting anything. I mean, I literally, I literally from, from when I started when I was a kid, I just went day by day. It was just, it was just working and trying to have fun. I didn't, I, I never expected anything out of it as far as expecting to win awards or which I've won, thankfully, or, you know, being at another level that I'm not, I've never expected that, you know, I've always, I've always, uh, I've always been about, about the work, really, just whatever I'm hired to do, do the best job I can. I'm really not expecting anything out of it. I mean, you love when you get praise and you get uh, things like that. Like I said, awards and praise and recognition. That's all wonderful that comes with it. But as far as expecting it, I think you're going down the wrong road if you're expecting things like that. Because then I think you're in it, for the, in it for the wrong reasons. If you're expecting to win a Golden Globe and if you're expecting to have the house up in the hills, I, I, I don't know if that's a good thing. 
Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's a question for you. If you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him? Oh, God, I'm thinking back. I was in junior college when I was 18, getting ready to go to Texas University of Houston. Uh, you know, it's funny because I think, I think I did tell myself the right things back then mm -hmm. because I was really a wise guy up until like my senior year in high school, which I must have been about 16 or 17, right? What I decided is, you know what? I want to go away to college and I want to do something with my life. I don't want to stay here in New York and be a fireman or a cop or run a deli like, you know, the rest of my buddies in the neighborhood. I wanted to get out of the neighborhood. And I thought if I got out of the neighborhood and I went away to college, that I would grow up. I'd have my own responsibilities for the first time. I'd meet different type of people. I'd have different experiences. So that's what I told myself then. And that's what I would tell myself now. That's what I would tell any young person when you're 17 or 18. If you know what you want to do in life, do it. If it it's if you want to be if you want to be a, a veterinarian, then get yourself a job at an animal hospital, even if it's cleaning cages or something like that. Be around it, taste it, smell it, feel it, do it. And like I said, I I, I says I knew I had to get out of New York because if I stayed in New York, I don't know if if the either the broadcasting or the acting thing would have helped for me because of the distractions in the neighborhood. I was just too much of a neighborhood guy, and I had to get out of the neighborhood. Mm. And I think I, I think I evolved as a person because I get out. Now, don't don't think I'm being obnoxious or anything. Because as a matter of fact, yesterday was one of my Sunnyside guys' 60th birthday party. We hadn't seen each other in a few months. I'm re still really tight with my Sunnyside guys. But I knew at that point in my life, it was time to get out of the neighborhood and see something different and do something different. You know. But there's that old saying too, Michael. Right? You can't take the neighborhood out of the guy. I mean, still at heart, I'm a Sunnyside Queens guy. You're not going to take that out of me. But at that point in my life, to go away to Texas and get an education and, and to see different things and, and follow my dreams with the sports casting and then the acting, that, all was, that was all because I went to Texas. So true. Uh, here's a question for you. What's the best compliment you've ever received? Well, I've been told by uh, you know scene partners that one of the great things they like about me is that I'm just a natural. There's, not, that there's nothing for us. Like, I worked a lot with Vince Curatola. All my scenes on Sopranos were either with Vince Curatola and uh, Jimmy Gandolfini. And Vince would tell me every day when we worked, he says, Louis, I don't know how you do it. Just, he says, you're not acting. I don't get it. You're acting, but you're not acting. You're just, you're just being. And I think, honestly, because I've, I've taught acting before too, and, I've, and I do coaching and stuff like that. And I think to some extent, it is a gift. It is a blessing when you have that ability to, to, to just be something and it's not forced. And I've been, I've been blessed with that. Luckily, where when I'm working, I, I never feel like I'm forcing anything. And thank God it comes across as I'm not. I'm not, you know, I think that's the nicest compliment that, that I'm considered a really, a really natural kind of actor. Everything comes really, really natural to me. It comes very, very easy to me. You know, and I've worked with some kids and some actors, stuff like that, where, you know, we can get them to that point, but it's really hard for some, for some people. You know, and I think that's a, that's a soul thing. Either you're blessed with that or, you know, I don't know how much of that you could teach. So yeah. that's, that's, that's a nice compliment I've received, some, uh, received from a lot of scene partners is how natural my work is. You know, the name of my show is such a strange word, but I told uh, the audience that quiditas means the whatness or essence of a thing or person. So make it easier on you and the people listening at home. What about I just tell you that quiditas means magic power or superpower? Lou, what is your magic or superpower? What is your quiditas? 
Wow. This is the deepest interview I've ever had by far. I'll tell you that. It came <laughs> up with really, really deep stuff. What would be my superpower? God. I'm a really, really good judge of character, and character is a big thing for me. And I'm usually, and, and my honey, Betty Ann, Liz, my girlfriend, we're together 22 years now. Also, she has the same gift, which is a really good judge of character. And I think that helps us in life being surrounded with the right people and being involved with the right people because we could tell your character in a second or two, you know. And so if that, if that would be a superpower, I think, yeah, I can really, really see somebody and see what they're all about, see what their essence is, see if they're an asshole or a jerk off or just a really wonderful person. Well, for example, last night, at the 60th uh, celebration of a birthday celebration of uh, this iconic playwright here in New York, Richie Vettieri. We did a celebration of his life where we read some pieces of his work. And I, I did like three of the, the plays that we read. And one of my scene partners, it's a gentleman that's been in the business for a long time, like myself. We had never run across each other. His name is Nick Harden. And we uh, just started talking. And within five minutes now, we cannot wait to have lunch, to talk about some projects we want to do together. I just knew in five minutes, like, this guy is a good guy, a talented guy. He's got a good heart. He's generous. I want to do something with this guy. You know, it, it literally took me five minutes. My girlfriend walks over. I introduce her to him. I walk over and talk to somebody else, something like that. Five minutes later, she comes back. She says, Lou, that Nick is a great guy. You never met him before. You guys got to do something together. He, I like, that's what I thought. He doesn't seem like a wonderful guy. So, Nick, if you listen to this and you turn out to be an asshole a month from now, all right, because that's my superpower. I know good people. I think you're a, a good person. So I think that's, that would be my superpower. Wow. I'm a really good judge of character. Yes. Finish the sentence for me. I believe. I believe in myself. The whole world sometimes doesn't believe in you. And I've been there. And there's been many, many times where I said, that's it. I'm not talking about committing suicide. I'm just talking about that's it as far as doing something else with my life going somewhere else in my life. And if you truly believe in yourself, like I do, it keeps you going. And that's why I'm still going. I'm still scratching and clawing, working as much as I can because I believe in myself. And I, and I do believe that there are greater things in line for me. If I keep the straight and narrow and stay true to myself, stay true to my beliefs and continue to believe in myself. I really do believe that. Finish this next sentence for me. I am most proud of. I'm, I'm most proud of the kind of person I turned out to be. And that goes back to my upbringing. My mom was the most wonderful woman that ever walked the planet. And she had a very, very difficult job of raising me by herself after my dad died when I was nine years old. And we got off to a rocky start there. Like I said, up until my junior year in high school, I was really kind of a punk. I didn't straighten out until my junior year in high school. And uh, yeah, I'm just most proud of the, the person that I turned out to be. I said, I think I'm a generous person. I think I'm a giving person. I think I'm there for my friends when they need me. And I'll always be there for my friends when they need me. So, yeah, it's a good thing. I'm happy with myself. I don't know if that sounds cocky or conceited, but I, I'm just happy with the way I turned out. I, I really am. I think I'm a nice guy. I think I'm a good guy. And I, I, and, I, and I hopefully portray that to people. Like I said, that you can count on me, especially when you're my friend, you can count on me. I'm most proud of that. Yeah, that's very true. You know, to quote Goodfellas, you know, you're a good fella, you know, <laughs> you're such a great guy, Lou. So my final question of the day for you is this. What does the future hold for Lou Martini Jr.? 
The future for Lou Martini Jr. holds at least more of the same that I continue to make a living in this crazy, crazy business that we call show business, you know, and my dream would be, and I'm getting old, so it's got to come soon. I think my, my perfect ending to this would be uh, a series regular TV series regular on a wonderful hit show. That's really creative and really wonderful and thought provoking and have a nice six, seven, eight, maybe 10 year run. And then in between do a movie here and there in between, you know, uh, the uh, hiatus of the TV show, you know, produce a couple of things on my own that are well-liked and well-respected, like the Christmas movie that we're doing in, in, uh, at, the end, at the end of the year. You know, I think that would be the perfect ending. The perfect ending for anybody in this business is to be able to call your own shots. That's the perfect ending, right? Is to have a job like a television show, like a series regular where you go to work. So, you know, you got the, the money coming in the paycheck to do whatever you want creatively on the side. Mm-hmm. That would be the perfect ending. Because as far as retiring goes, who knows? When you're in show business, it's not like, okay, well, I turned 66, I'm going to retire. I mean, if I'm 66 years old and somebody says, okay, you got a series regular on, on a show on CBS, well, I'm not going to say I'm retired. I'm going to take the job <laughs> and take it for as long as I can do it. You know, So that would be the, that would be the perfect ending, to have a steady job and to be able to still do my creativity stuff, call my own shots on the side. Wow. That's what I see for Lou Martini Jr., and if you can help in any way, Michael, be my guest. <laughs> I will definitely the bistro, try. Come on. The bistro. <laughs> let's go. Lou, thank you so much for being on the show. You've been an absolute pleasure to have on. Uh, before I let you go, how can the people who are listening in, hopefully there's some producers and directors out there, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, they can uh, go on my uh, IMDB page and all my contact information is there. My manager, my agent, publicist, all that kind of stuff. That's the easiest way is to go on my IMDB page. Thank you for listening to the Quidditas Factor. I'm your host, Michael J. Arboway. Before I let you go, please check out my website at www.mikearboway.com. That's M-I-K-E-A-R-B-O-U-E-T.com. And you can check out my shop. There you'll see a shop called Arbo Artifacts where I have some t-shirts for sale that will help the uh, show. As well as my wife's Etsy store, which is called Poem Jewelry Design. And Poem actually stands for Power of Each Moment. So please check out that store because she sells a lot more than jewelry there. And it's really cool and amazing. And I'm not just saying that because I'm her husband. I'm saying it because it's true. And finally, if you can, please become a patron. Thank you for the people who are patrons so far. Thank you so much. And I hope to see everyone um, join if they can. And please join me every Tuesday for a new episode of the Quid Toss Factor. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Quid Toss Factor with Michael J. Arboway. We'll catch you next time. time.